You get those uh, highlight cards filled out? No, that one's like, no, we didn't fill it out. What happened? Tough sell. That's all right. We'll talk about that later. We'll go back to the workshop on that one. Hey, uh, it's really good to be back with you again. And I said this to first service, so I'm going to say it to you. Um, Don't miss the fact that a group of 100 to 200 people to 300 people show up here every single Sunday to praise God. I think it's such a simple idea. And it misses us because we're here, right? And sometimes you can't tell a fish what water is. So I'm telling you, you're here at church praising God with 300 people. And that's just not a small thing, all right? And I just want to say praise God for that. Amen? Yeah. And, uh, but I say that because I don't know about you, but for me, it can sometimes feel really easy to feel alone when it comes to following Jesus. And I think one of the reasons is because being in community is hard work. I think that's true. But I also feel that the world is constantly inundating me with this and with that. And hey, do this and be this and look at this and go here. And pretty soon, I kind of feel like I'm swimming in the ocean. And if I look around, I don't feel like I see anyone that there's, I don't feel like I see anyone there with me. And I'm running out of strength. And I'm running out of breath. And I'm starting to wonder if I should just stop trying. But maybe that's just me. But in this series called Anchored, we've been talking through the book of Hebrews. A book that was written to a group of people who it's very possible were having the same train of thought. You see, Hebrews is a letter written to a group of Jesus followers who were being persecuted for what they believed. What they believed and how they acted made them the minority both socially and politically. It was tough times. And the author of Hebrews is writing a letter of truth, but he's also writing a letter of warning. And there's also hope, and there's also guidance. And the original audience of Hebrews was at a crossroads. And they were deciding between going back to what was comfortable, or pressing on to something more valuable. And I don't know about you, but I could always do with a little bit more truth. And if I'm being honest, I could probably do with some more warning as well. And some more, and some more hope and some more guidance. And so I hope that's what the rest of this morning is for all of us. I'm pretty sure it will be. So, this morning, we're in Hebrews chapter 11. And if you've got your Bible with you, I encourage you to open up to that passage. And if you're familiar with this passage, you would know that it's an incredibly powerful passage. It's often referred to as the Hall of Faith. And that's because the whole chapter is this incredible retelling of the biblical history through the Old Testament. It's story after story after story of incredible people doing incredible things. And as you read through this chapter, you can almost imagine yourself walking down this long hallway. And for me, it doesn't make any sense, but I'm always in a castle. I'm pretty sure that's just Hollywood playing on my subconscious, but that's where I am. I'm in a castle. You can be in a house. You, I mean, wherever other hall- hallways are, but for me, I'm in a castle. And I'm really small. And the castle is really big, and the hallway is large, and it's kind of dim lights, and the, hall, and the walls are purple, and it's a really poor aesthetic choice, but that's the way it is in my castle, okay? It could be different in yours, you can have different color walls, but I'm in a hallway that has purple walls. And in this hallway, as I'm walking down this hallway, I just see paintings on my left and on my right, and they're magnificent, and they're depicting these incredible moments, throughout history. These incredible moments throughout, throughout the biblical history of people who did incredible things. 
And as I was preparing for this message, I realized that I just didn't want to focus on a couple verses from this passage because it's all, it's all so good. And so I decided that I would just read the whole thing to you because I really want to give you an opportunity to walk down your own hallway. You can be in a castle, and you can join me, and we can hold hands. It'd be a kumbaya moment. You can be somewhere else in your hallway, though. But I want to give you all uh, just an opportunity to walk through this passage with me. So if you would, would you grab your seatbelt? You have to grab your seatbelt for me because I'm grabbing my seatbelt, and it's more awkward for me than you. So, and then you need to buckle up. And then maybe, we don't do this often, but maybe look to your neighbor and ask them, because safety first, are you buckled? Are you buckled? All right, because we've got to be careful here. This is going to be good. All right, so if you've got your Bibles, Hebrews 11, and buckle up. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. And by faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in a land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. And by faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had the opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. And by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was even able to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. And by faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because that they saw that the child was beautiful, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. 
By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith, people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to, to accept release, so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. What a beautiful hallway. And I just can't help but just be dumbfounded by how beautiful it is. These moments in history are powerful. And it just makes me take a deep breath. And these are just the cliff notes. I would just encourage you, if you have time this week, take a couple of these stories and go back and read them in their entirety. They're full of faith. They're full of trust. The names mentioned in this passage are often referred to as the heroes of faith. And because of this faith, these stories were told and have been told for generation upon generation. But can I be honest? I've heard a lot of people talk about this passage, and I'm not even very old. <laughs> I've heard a lot of people talk about this passage, and they read it, and it's, it's, it's emotion, and, and it's conviction, and they read it with all of this just energy, and then they just give me this big encouragement. Now let's go out and be a f- people of faith like Abraham. Let's go be a people of faith like Moses. Let's go be a people of faith like Sarah. And to be honest, I'm kind of sitting in my chair, and I kind of shriek back, and I think, I don't know how to do that. Because I don't remember the Nate, the, I don't remember a time that Nate has had faith that conquered kingdoms. And I don't remember a time that I've had faith that has enforced justice and obtained promises and stopped the mouths of lions. I just don't remember. I can't recall. And so it feels like when someone asks me to go and, be, go and be a person of faith like Moses, it feels like the chasm is wide between where I am in 2019 and where Moses was. And I think about these moments when I'm having a conversation with somebody 
about something that I'm really struggling with and, and I'm wrestling with something or something difficult and I'm pouring out my heart and, and I'm, I'm like, hey man, I need help. I'm really wrestling with this. I'm confused. And I get this response and maybe you've gotten this response too and I even know I've given this response but somebody says, maybe you should have more faith. It's like, thank you? I think. But I have a problem inside of me because I feel deflated because I don't know if I know what that is. Faith is abstract. It's ambiguous. When we think of faith, we think of words like belief or trust. But when I read this passage, I can't help but notice that there is something inherently different about the faith of Abraham and Moses and Sarah and the likes. But if we aren't sure... If we have a solid definition of faith, that leaves us with a problem, doesn't it? Because it seems like all these people did all of these amazing things and had all of these miraculous things happen by what? By faith. And so we have a problem. And that's where the light bulb came on for me. I was sitting in Starbucks and I started to ask these super simple questions. What is faith? And why should I have it? And if I'm supposed to have faith in something, what? But before you start, start worrying, this, this wasn't a crisis of faith for me. I was just, I had this sobering understanding that I'm not sure that I have a right definition for what faith is. It's abstract and it has a lot there and it's complex and I need to figure this out. And I started to ask all of these questions because it was clear to me that whatever faith is, the author of Hebrews believes it absolutely core to the nature of what it means to be a Jesus follower. And since we're in a series called Anchored, I started to think about it this way. I don't know a lot about sailing. I know nothing about sailing. I know nothing about boats. I don't have a boat. If you asked me to drive one, we would crash, okay? So if you have one and you ask me, don't. It's a bad idea. I knew almost nothing about sailing before this. But here's what I do know. If you don't want your boat to go anywhere, when the waves are crashing down and the winds are up and it's raining sideways, you better make sure that you know what you're doing when you're setting your anchor. It would just behoove you to know exactly what you're doing when you're setting that anchor. You better know where you're going to drop your anchor and the type of sea floor that you're going to drop it into. Are you dropping onto a reef where it's very rocky? Or is it more delta-like? Is it just a bunch of sand and silt below you? When is the last time that you checked your anchor? Is it all rusted out? Are the, are the links on the chain okay? Is it going to hold? Are there any large objects around you that you might hit while you're anchored? Do you know what type of anchor that you're even using? Do you know how many types of anchors there are? I spend way too much time on Wikipedia. There's a lot. And I'm going to read them to you right now. There's a fluke anchor, an admiralty anchor, a stockless anchor, grapnel anchor, a herishmoff anchor. You've got to be careful with that one. A North Hill anchor, a CQR plow anchor, delta anchor, Danforth anchor, a Bruce anchor, and more. And now you're thinking to yourself, Nate, how much time did you spend reading about anchoring? Way too much. But that's my life. And I also learned that there are so many ways that you can anchor a boat. It's not as easy. It's just like, here we go. You know, hope it it sticks. 
But as I was reading way more of the Wikipedia page than I ever should have, I thought to myself, man, this is starting to sound a lot like life. It's anything but simple, and it feels like the world has given us more options and new ideas about how to anchor our life than we know what to do with. If we just take a look, an honest look at ourselves and society, we'll start to see that we try and use lots of different things to anchor our life. We start to use our jobs. We start to use our finances. We start to use our favorite sports team. And I'll be the first to admit, I'll, I'll be at the front of the line. We'll try and use our relationships or an addiction or a status. Just go on social media and you'll see lots of people trying to use reputation and followers as an anchor. But oftentimes, I think we would all agree with this, life just doesn't resemble that nice lagoon that's protected by the wind and the waves. No. Life sometimes feels like we're in the middle of the Bermuda Triangle and our weather radar just went out. And if we don't have the tenacity of a sailor to use the right anchor, the anchor that will hold and persist through the toughest of waves, we're going to find ourselves drifting out in the middle of nowhere, wondering which way is up. And so that's where we find ourselves this morning. We're asking the simple but ever important question, what is faith? What does this abstract word mean to me? Because in Hebrews 11, it seems important. And in what are we going to put our faith in? And what is it that faith is going to do to our lives? And so that's where we find ourselves. And that's why I think Hebrews 11 answers for us. Hebrews 11 gives us the what. And it gives us the who. And it gives us the why. And it gives us the how behind anchored faith. And it's been my prayer that God will use this passage to encourage you as much as I've been encouraged by it. So I just want to spend a couple minutes talking about the faith described throughout Hebrews 11. So let me ask you a question. When we read Hebrews 11, do we see a bunch of people who really like the idea of faith and talk about it a lot around the campfire but never do anything? No. That wouldn't make a very good story. At least I wouldn't read that story? Or do we read stories of people who really had faith, but then all of a sudden they just got busy and distracted and thought, eh, maybe someone else will build the ark. Or you know what? Maybe someone else will go conquer that kingdom. My my to-do list over here is just a little long today. I got other things to do. No, we don't really read that either. Instead, we see people whose lives and actions are defined by faith and actions. But now maybe that's what you expected me to say, because that's the easy one. It's easy to see that these people were obviously people of action. But I've got a couple more questions. When we read Hebrews 11, do we get the impression that someone is just mustering up enough emotion to do all of these things? Do you get the impression that they're just on a football team and they're in the huddle and they're just kind of slapping each other on the head to kind of just get enough emotion mustered up so that we can go out and do something? Are these stories forever etched in history because people mustered up more gumption and that's what they call faith? Maybe it will help if I put it in terms and a phrase that sometimes we hear when people outside the church are talking about Christians. Does it seem like these great heroes just checked their brain at the door and that's why they had more faith? 
That they just disregarded all the things that they see in the outside world and the world around them, and that's why they had more faith. The author of Hebrews doesn't seem to think so. You see in verse 7 it says this, By faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark. In verse 11, By faith Sarah herself perceived power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. He, Abraham, considered that God was even able to raise him from the dead. And in verse 26, he, Moses, considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Noah had this reverent fear, but that doesn't just come from anywhere, right? He had to have sat down and taken enough time to think, think it all through and think, hey, there's something outside of myself, bigger than me, greater than me, more powerful than me, and I spent enough time thinking about it that now I have reverent fear, And the same thing with Sarah and Moses and Abraham. They didn't just muster up gumption to then have faith. No, they took a look at all of the things around them and the things that they had seen God do before, and they considered. They considered God more faithful. These weren't people that just put their heads down and closed their eyes and got their hands over their ears, and all of a sudden kingdoms got conquered. And justice wasn't just enforced. And promises didn't just get obtained and every swipe of the sword just happened to miss them. Tim Mackey, who was one of the co-founders of the Bible Project, he taught on this passage a long time ago. And I was listening to it on a podcast on the way home. And he described faith that he saw in Hebrews 11 this way. He said, this type of faith begins by engaging my mind, thinking, and reasoning, but it ends with radical commitment and action that shows that I actually believe that God is going to do what he said he would do. And I heard this on my walk home, and it stopped me in my tracks because it dawned on me that we read in Hebrews about a group of people who weren't running with their heads down and their eyes closed and their hands over their ears. These people were running with their eyes up eyes up, considering who God is, considering what God has done. And we should do the same. The faith that we're talking about here, it actually starts with thinking. And it starts with setting our minds. And it starts with considering who God is, constantly looking up to be reminded of God. And then taking that glorious understanding and letting it infect everything we do. How we live, how we talk, how we use our finances, how we make decisions for the next season of life, how we react in crisis, how we react when it's comfortable. This type of faith says, God, you have been faithful before, and you have been faithful over and over and over and over and over again. And I see it, and I consider it, and I reason with it, and I choose to believe that you'll be faithful again. Faith is taking an active role in engaging our minds and setting our minds on the world around us and God and coming to conclusions that leads us to radical commitment and action that shows that we actually believe that God is going to do what he said he would do. So when we are faced with something that doesn't feel like, we don't feel like we can overcome or navigate on our own, what do we do? First, we consider We aren't in a huddle of football players just trying to, I mean, we could be, we're not football players down 41 just trying to make ourselves feel good. That's not it. (laughs) 
We're not trying to just muster up this emotion and then go out. No, that's not it. That's not what God is asking us to do. He says, hey, look. Look at the way I provided before. Look at the way I provided again and again and again. Consider me. Consider what I've done. We consider his plan for our lives, his provision, and then we move in radical ways. We reason that over the course of history, we have seen God provide innumerable times, and we reason that he will provide again as we act. That's what faith is. So that's the what, but let's move on to the why, because we still have a couple more. Let's move on to the why behind faith. But to actually do that, we need to look at two different verses just outside of Hebrews 11. But it's in verse 10 and verse 12, so don't, or chapter 10 and chapter 12, so don't worry. End of chapter 10 and verse 36, verse 35, it says, Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. See, the author, just in that, that one tiny verse in Hebrew, in chapter 10, verse 37, it says, For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. Hebrews, the author of Hebrews is reminding us, hey, Jesus died over here, but he's coming back. He's coming back to save his kingdom, his world. He's coming back again, Amen. In chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And here it is. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So what is the author saying here? The author is reminding us that you and I, we live in between two promises. We live in between the promise that that God will send his son Jesus to die on the cross. That one's been fulfilled, and we will praise God for that. But we live in between two of them. We live in between this one and the other promise that Jesus is coming back. That's you and me, and we have to accept that reality. That's the here and the now. In order to know what to do, we first have to accept our reality that we live in between two different promises. Both beautiful and both have a purpose. But we at least have to ask, what does that mean? These verses perfectly surround Hebrews 11. And we can start to see the author is trying to remind us that we live in between two promises. On the one hand... It's the, it's the promise that we look towards, that Jesus is coming back. But Hebrews 12 says that we look to Jesus because he was the perfect fulfillment of God's promise. I'm just being honest. If, if what we were doing here was just mustering up enough gumption and emotion to then go out and live and feel good about our lives, I, I wouldn't be here. I would ask you politely to leave too because here's the deal. The world can offer a lot of different things for you to feel good about your life. But that's not why we're here. 
That's not why we have faith. We have faith that a man died on a cross for the sins of the world to fulfill a promise and give confidence to all those who decide to put their faith in him so that they can look forward to the next time that God's going to fulfill a promise. We have faith because we live in a world that is constantly trying to send a bigger wave and shake our anchor loose, but instead we've been giving something solid to send down to the ocean floor so that our ship will stay afloat. So that's the what and the who and the why. But let's talk about the how. All right, that's how we started this whole conversation. How? What is faith? But like how? When someone says you've got to have more faith, how? I understand that yearning. How do we have anchored faith? I really think this goes back to what um, Tim Mackey said. This type of faith begins by engaging our mind, thinking and reasoning, but it ends with radical commitment and action to show that I actually believe that God is going to do what he said he would do. And so, because I know that it's even hard for me to remember a sermon application if it doesn't have alliteration in it, I pick two words that start with the same letter. So, This is for you. What are we going to do? How are we going to have anchored faith? We're going to consider, and we're also going to commit. We're going to consider and commit. Maybe you don't know where you stand with God. I'm just glad you're here. And that's okay. But but you you feel like people keep telling you to have faith. My encouragement to you is just consider harder. Consider what you see in this world. Consider what you believe to be true about God or not true about God. Engage your mind. Don't believe the the lie that asking questions is somehow irreverent. God created us uniquely and beautifully with brains to think and observe and look at the world. So it's our job to then observe those things and to consider and to think critically. Spend the time that you need But my second encouragement is this. No one is time to commit. Moses and Sarah and Abraham didn't spend all day just considering. They took the ample time to consider, but then they knew when it was time to commit. Engage your mind and reason, but be ready to commit and live a life fully anchored in Jesus. And there's other of us who have been Jesus followers for a long time. And my encouragement to you is the same. Consider. Consider Jesus. Remember, reason about the things that you feel like you've known for a long time. Please don't forget that Jesus died on the cross for you and for me and for the rest of the world. Jesus loves you. And I know it's a song and I know you've sung it for a really long time. But Jesus loves you. And God has a plan for your life. And my encouragement is to just not stop spending time considering the implications of that truth. (laughs) And I'm not telling you any secrets up here when I say that we're all broken and sinful. But the harder thing to admit is when we haven't considered the parts of our heart that we aren't letting God deal with yet. So this week, consider and reflect what parts of your life is God asking you to commit or recommit to Him. And spoiler alert, He's after all of your heart. And to end our time this morning, I'd like to invite Paul back up on stage to sing uh, that third song we sang. It's called Anthem. And uh, 
Paul is such a guy. He's such a good friend. Because two months ago, I figured out that I was speaking on Hebrews 11, and I texted him. I said, hey, man, can you play this song? And he's such a good guy. Uh, so we're going we're gonna to sing that song one more time. And it, it, one of the lines, it says, there's so many reasons, too many to count. That's the things that we should set our minds on. Those are the things that we should consider. The vast amount of reasons that God has set before us that says, hey, I've been there over here. So when you're facing this, don't forget that I've been there and I will be there. and I always will be there. It's because anchored faith is this beautiful two-parter. We consider what God has done and where we fit and then we commit. You can't have one part without the other. And that's just my simple encouragement to all of us this morning. So now maybe we'll all feel a little bit better when I encourage us to go and be a people of faith like Abraham. And I encourage us to go be a people of faith like Moses. And I encourage us to go be a people of faith like Sarah and the likes to go be a people that have our minds 100% set on God. We know what anchor we're using and we know what we're anchoring it into. What he has done and what he's going to do. And maybe, just maybe, we'll in turn become people who in our own world conquer kingdoms and enforce justice and obtain promises and stop the mouths of lions and quench the power of fire and escape the edge of the sword and be made strong out of weakness. So I just encourage you to to sing along one more time and consider. Or maybe you need to commit. I don't know. But be prayerful about it. I love you all. Thanks for having me again. I'll pray and then then we'll go. God, thank you for all that you've done. All is such a Ah, it doesn't encapsulate all that you've done. And God, we know that our busyness or our distraction or our insecurities are always going to get in the way of us not considering all that you've done. And so, in spite of recognizing all that you've done, God, we're going to ask you to do more in our hearts and help us. Help us to set aside time to consider and then give us the strength and the commitment and the encouragement and the courageousness to commit. God, you are so faithful. Show us how to be a people of faith in this world. People that say, God, you've been faithful before you will be faithful again. Thank you for being our anchor. Thank you for being the perfect anchor. And God, we just pray all these things. In Jesus' name, and everybody said.